0: And we're continuing on with our series on the Messiah from the Gospel of John. And uh, some of you have been gone for a few weeks, traveling, students, over Christmas vacation or just vacation of your own. And so welcome back. And we're really glad that you're here. And we're carrying on, if you missed it, with this series through the Gospel of John. We were in Messiah origins and now we've moved into Messiah encounters. And we're looking at... These interactions that Jesus had with people and that people had with Him. These these conversations. These one-on-ones. And to see how people were changed as they interacted and encountered Jesus and how Jesus ministered to them. And we still believe that Jesus encounters us today. We believe it, that as we read His Word, that we are encountered by the risen Christ That Jesus is alive and these aren't just words on a page, but they are alive to us. And Jesus is in fact meeting with us. And He's speaking to us through these words. And we believe that Jesus encounters us through His Spirit. And that His Holy Spirit is in this place. And that He moves among us. And that He speaks to us. And so I hope that we don't just think of this word encounter as kind of a cold, it happened back then, it doesn't happen now. It happened then, it happens now. Jesus desires to encounter us, to meet with us, to speak to us. And I believe He's doing it through these uh, passages of Scripture. So last a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Nicodemus, this Jewish re- religious leader. And last week it was Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Today we find Jesus interacting again, spending some time back in Jerusalem with people by a pool. Just hanging out by a pool. But not the kind of pool that we're probably thinking of. So let's look there. John chapter 5. You can follow it along on the screen if you'd like, but I'll read it as well. We're reading from the New Living Translation. Let's stand together as I read. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and, and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up. Pick up your mat. And walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, and thereby making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Several of our teams this uh, summer will be going to the Nazarene Youth Conference, and I figured uh, we've been talking about it a little bit, but haven't for a little while, so I figured this would be a good time to talk about that. It's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, maybe some have been to an NYC before. I am an NYC alum. I went in 1987, I think it was. Wow. Long time ago. Uh, And ours was in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Camp University of Maryland, actually, but you guys are going to be in Louisville. It's going to be great. If you're going to NYC... I think we have five or six going from our, just stand up where you are, if you're going to NYC this summer. Yeah, okay, so there's three here, and I think we have at least two others, three others, plus Aaron will be going, so great, congratulations, we're praying for you guys, and this is a big deal, Nazarene Youth Conference is a gathering of Nazarene students, high school students from around the United States and Canada. And, um, I don't know, five to 10,000 students will be there, and there'll be great speakers and worship bands and workshops and learning and relationships and fun. It'll be a great thing. But one of the things that I'm most excited about at Youth Conference, and I know those of you who are going are most excited about this as well, is the service projects that the students participate in while they're there. In fact... Over the last several NYCs, they've been doing this, and they call it Ministry with Others. And each student, for a part of the three full days they'll be at the conference, a half, full half day of, those, of one of those days will be spent in ministry with others throughout the city of Louisville, Kentucky. And in fact, one of the, the stated purposes, there's only three stated purposes of NYC, and one of them is to impact the host city and serve the people of Louisville through a variety of projects and presence. Isn't that great? I think we're learning that to disciple students is to have them act like Jesus. To serve and to be present through projects and presence. And so they'll be painting and cleaning and they'll be, uh, they'll be bringing food with them that then they'll work with shelters and, and food distribution places to make sure that food gets out to the to the people who are in need in Louisville. They'll be bringing diapers and other baby stuff to hand out to uh, mothers who are in need of caring for their their small children. I'm really excited about what these uh, students of ours have in store for them as they experience this ministry with others. Again, a discipleship conference that is reminding us that One of the key ways that we grow as a disciple is to serve like Jesus. Well, our encounter, interestingly, what made me think about this is that our encounter today shows us that this whole idea of going to a big city for a religious conference and then having it turn into a compassionate ministry service project was something that was being done a long time ago. This isn't a new thing. This passage tells us that Jesus was a churchman. He was going back to Jerusalem, the holy city, and He was going there to celebrate a holy feast, a conference, a a gathering of the people of God, and they were there to, to celebrate together. But before Jesus goes to the temple, before He goes to where the people are gathered, He goes to the place where the people are hurting, where the people are broken, where the people are hopeless. And He goes there to serve compassionately and to give of His love and His care, and His kindness. Right into this place of human desperation, where people were suffering with both agonizing pain, picture the scene, and this frustration that would have been upon them in terms of their hopes, He comes right to this place. And our story, uh, before anything else today, reminds us that wherever Jesus went, Whatever was on his agenda for the day, he always saw hurting people. They always came into focus for him. And I must admit that that's not always my way. I, I don't know how photography works, but you know, you focus, and one thing at certain depths can come into focus, and everything else fades out. I to admit that too often my focus is on what is best for me, what pleases me. For Jesus, that came into focus always was the person in need, the person hurting. And uh, again, I'm excited that our students will be learning to walk in his steps. And I'm excited that we all get to walk in his steps. There's a lot of moving parts in this story, even as you read it. And I mean, it's funny at certain points. There's irony. There's up and down. There's twists and turns. There's as I thought about it, that was the phrase that kept coming back to me. Moving parts. I, I can't, what's the story about, John? I, I, is it the, the, the pool? Is it the healing? Is it the Sabbath? And I can just see John, the Gospel writer, saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, exactly. You, you got it. You, you're, you're following me. So a lot, lot stands out to us. Lots to grab our attention in the narrative. One interesting aspect of the story is, of course, this description of the pool at Bethesda. And it's not like any other pool that that you or I have perhaps ever been to. Uh, Not one that we necessarily want to go swimming in, uh, but uh, its physical location and its appearance are precisely defined. I love how they make sure the details, it's inside the city, near the sheep gate with five covered porches. Uh, In fact, scholars tell us that the original site has been uncovered by archaeologists. And if you go to Jerusalem, you can go to the site today as to where Jesus encountered this man by the, by the pool at, uh, at Bethesda. Um, it's a well-known place of healing, obviously, but it wasn't, according to a lot of the research and evidence, it wasn't simply a Christian or Jewish at that time place of healing, but had some elements of paganism as well in this, at this site. It's a description of the people as well gathered at the pool that equally strikes us as vivid crowds of sick people A great number of disabled people, another translation says. The lame, the paralyzed, the blind. But among them stands out one to Jesus. This is again intriguing to me. Just one in particular of those that were laying there stands out and emerges to Jesus. Perhaps it was the fact that this apparent paraplegic had been laying there in this one place for 38 years. Maybe that's why he emerged to Jesus. We're not told how Jesus knew this about the man. Just again, like he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, and like he saw the woman, and like he saw Nicodemus, he saw this man, and he knew that he had been ill and sick for a long time. 38 years was actually nearing the life expectancy in this day. So quite Probably, and possibly, and probably literally, this, this man had been dropped off at this pool as a young child and had never left. Seems like the way that things were supposed to work at this pool uh, was that the, the waters would bubble up and it was like, you know, healing, like, land rush at that point. It was like, who could get in the water at the first as the first one as soon as the waters begin to bubble up and there was some tradition that said that an angel was in there and stirred it up and in fact if your bible has verse four then you're unique because it, it's not really in the earliest manuscripts verse four has been taken out but uh, because it it made some reference to the angels and that wasn't in the earliest manuscripts so that's been been left out in more recent translations but um we we not we're not exactly sure what kind of thing is going on here. It, it's kind of somewhat like half healing, spiritual, and half magic, hocus pocus kind of thing. And bubble up as soon as the hot tub gets turned on, jump in, and you know you'll get you'll get healed. But what we do know for sure is that it's not that effective. The methodology that had been Design here at this particular healing center was not that effective. How do we know that? Because this man had been laying there for 38 years. And he had not yet made his way in and was, if not the worst off, at least one of the worst off ones in this this place. Somebody. I just listened to his words to Jesus. Somebody always gets in front of me. And you can just... We can read this man in two different ways. We can read him as just being... Such a a tragic character, full of despair and desperation. Always, right as I I was there, somebody else. Just a little too little, just a little too late, over and over and over. Until now, he's to this point of just giving up. We could read him as just someone who's maybe just grown accustomed to his place and is now just simply making excuses. Oh, yeah, somebody else gets in there. How we read him? He is a tragic figure. He's one that Jesus notices well. So Jesus' pointed question to him, would you like to get well, was a good one. Because in fact, after 38 years, maybe the answer was up for grabs. Kind of used to this. It's not really any good, but it's what I know. Perhaps he would think. Been there a long time in this condition. It was what was comfortable. How many of us have found ourselves in that very position? And I mean, those of you who have spent time with this story in the past, this is perhaps somewhat of an easy application to our lives, but I don't want to skip over it because how important it is when we think about our own lives and how easily we get stuck into comfort zones, places where it may not be the best. In fact, it may not even be right. It may not be God's blessing for us or His best for us. In fact, it may be disobedience to God, but it's what we know. And it's gotten us by thus far. And we're not hurting anybody really. We're not really being hurt. Well, maybe we, well, it's just too much trouble. I'll just, do you want to get well? Jesus says to us. I uh, traveled with a, group, many of you have heard me talk about this for a lot of years, but when I was a uh, senior in college, we went uh, our, on a mission trip to Russia, and uh, the, the leader who was with us, we, we did some work projects, but primarily it was an evangelistic trip in 1991 into Russia, which at the time, as you know, was just coming out of communism, an officially atheistic uh, government And we were coming into cities and small towns, actually, where they hadn't seen Americans ever, most of the population. Amerikanskis were the whispers that we heard as we walked down the streets. And we would go into these city halls where Lenin's bust was in the the entryway. And we would put Bibles next to him and take pictures and then take them away really quick before we got thrown in jail. And we would... uh, We would go into these these town halls that had had celebrated communism and had preached the ethics of atheism. And we would hold, in this day in history, 1991, we would hold evangelistic revival services. I mean, if there's any uh, proof or reason for God's existence... For a group of college students to come in to this place, even now I think about what a miracle that was and is. But every night for three weeks, we heard our leader after we sang our two or three songs that we had learned in Russia, Russian and acted out our pantomimed uh, drama sketches that I had a lead part in, thank you very much. Just don't give me a speaking part and I'm good to go. Um, after that, we heard him preach every night for three weeks from this text. And I really don't remember a whole lot of what he said other than one story that he told. And It's a story perhaps that I've told before or you've heard before about a man walking by a, a circus and seeing an elephant, a huge, large elephant, and he's staying right where he is standing, he's not moving away, not running away, and he looks down and he notices that he has a rope tied to his back leg, and the rope is simply wrapped around a stake, a small stake in the ground. And he asks the trainer, why? Why does this elephant just not simply tug barely with his leg and pull that rope from that stake or that stake out of the ground and, and, and run off to freedom? And the trainer simply looked back at him and said, from a very early age, from the time their first able to stand we we tie them with a rope to a stake dug deeply into the ground and they're unable to move away from the stake at that time and so as they grow older they just have it in their minds that they're unable to move when they see that rope when they see that stake that they're unable to set themselves free they could be free but they've been conditioned so as to not be able to now I did a little research on that story, and the Internet is debating its accuracy in these days. <laughs> but I think the point of it, and in fact, uh, the, the lesson that is learned from it as we think about our own lives is, in, is indeed a good one for us. How many of us have been conditioned, as was this man by the pool, by our past? Conditioned as to those things that have held us back. Conditioned as to the things that we have experienced in our lives. And what happened then continues to control us now. And we make our decisions for the present based on what happened way back then. And instead of being set free into the life that God would have for us, we're confined by the memories of shame and hurt and abandonment of restriction of cruelty, of abuse, whatever it might be, that defined then continues to define now. And whether it's Russians breaking free from atheism or people like us breaking free from all the things that I've mentioned, Jesus asks us today, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Um, Another interesting point about the story that grabs our attention is that really before, if you read it, before the man even gets to really respond, before he really gets to even believe and exercise his belief, in fact, if you read it while he's still in the middle of offering his excuses to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says three words, or three phrases, that's it, stand up, pick up your mat, walk. And the brevity of this command, this instruction, and the abruptness with which Jesus speaks it into this man's life are indeed meant to speak to us. The story obviously wants to communicate something of Jesus' power. These are not just words of a mere human being. These are not just instructions of another man. These are words spoken with authority, not invoking some magical incantation, but all the powers of heaven in this place as Jesus speaks to the man. Jesus is not looking to rearrange things for the man. He's not looking to rearrange matter as some illusionists might do. But He's looking to bring something brand new. He's looking to bring new creation into this man's life. And by doing so to show us that He longs to bring new creation to our world and to us as well. This man instantly is healed. It's reported. 38 years on that mat. It's a long time. And up He stands. Picks up His mat. And begins to walk. A word from Jesus was all that was needed catch it a word from jesus is all that was needed stand up pick up your mat and walk he'd been healed he was made well and if you think about it life would be much different for him much more satisfying in many ways much harder in Other ways, he had been immediately thrust out of his comfort zone. And the same thing happens to us when Jesus raises us to our feet. Things are never the same again. It reminds us that Jesus can do miracles, this story does. It reminds us that he can heal us. And and I think this story can be a great encouragement to some of you here this morning that are praying for physical healing. I know that's something that in our worship folder and in your lives and in our small groups Time and time again, we pray for physical healing. And the Bible instructs us to pray for physical healing. And and this story can give some great oomph to those prayers. Jesus shows himself to be one who heals. And so I would encourage you, keep praying for physical healing. Jesus desires to work in these ways. But I'm struck by one fact about the story along those lines, is that at the pool at Bethesda, there were lots of people that didn't get healed physically, right? He picked out one. We're not told about the others necessarily. So what this seems to make very clear to us is that this healing is not only about physical healing by any means, but it's an expression again of what Jesus is wanting to do in terms of this creation, in terms of our world, in terms of our own lives. It's a story that wasn't just about healed legs and physical bodies, but about the power of God to heal hearts. It wasn't just about this man getting well, but about Jesus bringing new power And new life. It wasn't just about fixing the old again, but the arrival of the new, new creation. I had a friend Daniel here this morning. I won't say too much about you except that you're from Australia. And we were teasing Daniel this morning a little bit that he has come back to us from the future. 19 hours ahead, right, in Australia. So we were asking him, What's it like out there? How should I invest? What's it going to be like 19 hours from now? Because he knows he's come from there to here. The reality is that this story shows us that Jesus has come from there, the kingdom of God, the fully consumed kingdom of God, from there to here. And he's interrupted human history and he's brought some of that with him to this place. And he's showing us in these encounters. And he's showing us still in the encounters that he's having with us here that he desires what's out there to impact us in here. And for us to become a little bit more today like we will be then. And for this creation to experience newness and to become a little bit more today, what it will be like then well, he says to the man, "Stop sinning a little bit later on, or something worse will happen." I don't like that part. I heard some oohs and ahs even as I read it. And we're not sure here. Is Jesus seems actually a few chapters later to disconnect sinning from sickness? So we're not sure here if he's saying actually, yeah, the sin and the sickness are connected, or if he's speaking about some other sin that only he and the man know about here, in terms of what he was uh, participating in, but what Jesus seems to make very clear to all of us and to this man is that this is a very serious matter. This healing is for wholeness. It's as if Jesus is trying to say to him and to us, I don't heal halfway. One commentator titled his section on this scripture "The Jesus' half healing of a half dead man. Because he thought that the man's Behavior throughout the rest after the physical healing revealed that he wasn't fully healed. Jesus' invitation to each of us is to experience a full transformation. What is true about then can be true about us even now. It's serious business. He wants to do that work in us if we'll let him. Well, the last, and let me just speak to it quickly, and I think it's perhaps the most critical. In fact, if we were to ask John, the gospel writer, what's this story really about? Really? I mean, is it the pool or is it the healing? He'd say, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Because it just moves right there, right? It just moves right there where, I mean, it's just, catch it. After the guy is healed, the religious leaders don't look at them and say, you know, who healed you? say why are you carrying that mat? they had known he'd been there for 38 years and they're not concerned with who healed him and how the healing happened, but just that he was carrying his mat now we know that celebrating the Sabbath was a very important part of Jewish life continues to be continues to be a very important part as we've celebrated the lord's resurrection day in the Christian life we know that for them it was a day of Of a a ten command, one of the big ten, right? To remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy because this was the day on which God rested from his creative work. And the Jewish religious leaders of that day had taken it to the next extreme and said, well, okay, this is work and that's not work and this is work and that's not work. And they wanted to be able to clearly and precisely define just what was work and what wasn't work so that they could make sure to keep everybody abiding by the rules. Interesting is time and time again, Jesus seems to do some of His best work on the Sabbath. Jesus, you do some of your best work on the Sabbath. I know. I know. And, and over and over in each of the Gospels, there, there are accounts of Jesus working on the Sabbath. And here He is again. He probably could have waited till Sunday. Saturday was their Sabbath. He probably could have waited... This guy had waited 38 years. He probably could have waited another day, right? It's as, it's as if Jesus has something to say to us and to all generations by his behavior on this Sabbath day. And so he heals there on the Sabbath. Again, it's interesting, um, his healing work wasn't the biggest problem. Actually, the religious leaders never come to him and say, hey, why did you heal on the Sabbath? they just go to the man and say, why are you carrying that mat on the Sabbath? It's the the man that gets in trouble because Jesus has slipped off. What does it tell us about the leaders of that day that when this man who had been crippled for 38 years gets up and walks and all they can think about is that it isn't legal for him to carry his mat while he does so? What does it say about them that they don't ask the man who it was that healed you, but who it was that told you to pick up your mat and walk, they just—they just didn't get it. It was—they were just in different time zones, s- theological and spiritual time zones. You know, one of the challenges of living on the West Coast is that, um, especially if you're a business person, you're dealing with people on the East Coast, or if you're needing to order something, or da 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 da, you know, by like one o'clock in the afternoon, you're really hum and you got stuff to do, and you you know, give them a call, our offices close at four o'clock. We're so sorry. Please call us back tomorrow. And and just this challenge of or the or the you know the East Coast is hopping, they're celebrating the new year, and we're celebrating the East Coast New Year. I mean what's the deal with that? They, these time changes, these time zones, they just give us all sorts of trouble. We're not working in the same time zone. We're not working when they're working They're not working when we're working. Well, this passage tells us, and Jesus' clear-cut work on the Sabbath tells us that God was up to something new in Him. God was working in new and fresh ways, bringing about new possibilities. And for Jesus, it wasn't a matter of disrespecting the Jewish tradition. It wasn't a matter of disrespecting what had been such a closely held tradition belief. All right, maybe it was a little bit. But for him, mostly it was about this simple fact of what he said there in verse 17. My father, my father is always working. And I will be too. And I will be too. My father is always working. And so am I. Aren't you glad about that verse? That verse has just gripped me all week long. And I pray that it just goes on to grip me for a lot longer. And that it would grip your heart today. Jesus saying, my Father is always working, and so am I. Jesus is always working, calling you. Do you want to get well? Inviting you to move forward from your brokenness, from your paralysis, inviting us to new life in Him. Jesus is working today. Not only in the broken places of your life and my life, but in the broken places of this world. Jesus is working. You don't read a newspaper or watch a report or read online where there is a place where Jesus is not present. And Jesus is not working. Jesus is Working. His Father is always working, and so is He. And, in the, and the great thing about that is that not only is He working in me and in you to invite us from that place to make us well, but He's inviting us to participate with Him in His work in the world, His redeeming, loving work in the world of us in response to this passage today might just say you know Jesus is Jesus is always working and by his grace and by his strength so am i so am i so am i let's stand together can't we God, thank you for uh, this story that has a lot of working parts, a lot of moving parts. A lot for us to grab onto here. And I guess my, my biggest prayer, God, is that in working through all the moving parts, that we would at the very least grab onto one thing. I believe, Jesus, that you want to encounter us again even here this morning. That you have been doing that throughout this time, this gathering, and before, and you will continue after. But maybe precisely even in these few moments, Jesus, you want to encounter us in a, in a compact and powerful way. Maybe some of us just need to hear you saying to us with compassion and with kindness and with authority, asking us that question, do you want to get well? Maybe some of us are still living, confined to a past that we've allowed to define us and shape our identity that, that you want to break us free from. Give us a new identity, a new identity. Hope in you. Maybe some of us just need to hear you you asking us that question. And we want to respond in faith. As you say, stand up, we want to stand up. God, help some people who who you've brought healing to to stand up today. To pick up our mat and to walk. You've brought healing, but we've experienced perhaps only halfway. Oh, God. Jesus, your desire is to heal us wholly and to make us holy. Perhaps there would even be some here to say, who would say, yeah, I've invited Jesus in my heart, into my heart and he's forgiven me of my sin, but I'm not really living in the freedom of Jesus. I'm still struggling day in and day out, still burdened by sin and despair, still overwhelmed by the pressures of this world. No, I'm, yeah, I'm... I know his forgiveness, but I don't know his freedom. Maybe today, maybe today, Jesus, you just need to come behind some people and say, walk, walk. I've healed you, and I'm healing you wholly now. So start walking. And we'll walk with you, Jesus, as you keep working. So will we, by Your grace and by Your strength. So I pray for each person right now, even as we sing this song to close, some may want to come and kneel here, God, before you to make their own declaration of response, obedience, their response of faith, whatever it is that You're speaking to them about. As we sing this song, as we respond to You, God, may may You have Your way And may you bring us the healing that you desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name.